Hello stackers, this is Rhett. I just wanted to start with a quick announcement. We are going to be a little bit delayed with starting our next season, season two. One of the Stackadice family has had a family emergency, and so we are on hold with our normal episode recordings until he returns from a trip, and uh, once he comes back, we will be able to get to our normal season recordings, get back on track with that. So to fill some of the gap, I wanted to take some time today to talk with our very own Thane, and he's been working on something, and so I thought we would spend some time talking about that and noting how what he's working on can play into building a richer, more full fantasy world. Hey, hello, hey there, Fridun Ayik, or at least that's what I would say if I were speaking to a group of you guys and we all spoke the language Wetan, which is a conlang that I've been working on for a month or two by now. Okay, so you're using the phrase conlang. Can you talk to us about what that means? It's short for constructed language. Okay, it's basically, what does that mean? It's a bit of an underground hobby uh, where you basically create a language of your own. And this can serve a variety of purposes. I uh, have been listening to a couple of Conling podcasts, and by couple I mean one actually. And uh, the first episode they kind of covered what Conlings can be used for. And so, you know, sometimes it's Conlings could, in a sense, be code, uh, codes, uh, stuff like that. Uh, it can be used for story writing for Dungeons and Dragons, which uh, if you really want to flesh out your world a lot, it's really just kind of, there's a variety of different ways this can be applied. I personally do this for story writing, Dungeons and Dragons, and also for my interest in linguistics. I really like how, I really like just the thought that goes behind how people communicate and how we structure our thoughts. And so I kind of took up this task as a hobby and uh, an attempt to really self-educate myself. I've been doing a lot of research, mainly on Wikipedia and and stuff like that, to help me basically learn where to start. I haven't really gotten much down with this language, um, but I I have the building block set in place that will help me with uh, structuring it once I really start fleshing out the vocabulary. Okay, very nice. Language is, I think, often a kind of like a toss-in to fantasy role-playing. At best, I think, generally speaking, it's kind of acknowledged that it's there, but it's never really worked into a game. I know that it can add a lot of depth to a world. Uh, talk to J.R.R. Tolkien <laughs> about how he started Middle-Earth, and he would have been happy to reveal to you that basically Middle-Earth came from him playing around with Elvish. And so as he began to create this made-up language, and I, I think at first he didn't have it assigned to anything in particular. He was just trying to create a language. And then over time, as he began to talk about it, think about it, he realized, oh, this sounds kind of flowing. And it kind of plays into that picture that I'm making of this world of elves and everything. And so um, over time, it began to spawn ideas that led to the works of The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and so forth. I think language has a very great deal of potential for shaping a world or even just a region within a world. And really, that's kind of how we started our creation of Vardalon, right? We talked yeah. about distinct geographical regions and what made this special, what made it stand out. Mm -hmm. Now, there are two main different types of conlings, naturally constructed languages and then languages that are not that. And so... 
people going for a more naturalistic feel to their languages add you know developments in their language so uh as you know tolkien you're drawing on the old favorite uh example tolkien created basically lots of different types of elvish dialects and developments in the language as the people as the elves would split up and go their separate ways i'm kind of going for that feel with witan although i haven't really even gotten out of the proto-witanic uh stage yet and then and, you know later i'll be actually working on really branching out um talking about splits in dialects and all that stuff so this kind of leads me in my mind to the next question kind of the foundational question of all of this what prompted you to undertake this in the first place well like i said i've always had an interest in language and just foreign languages uh especially i mean english is boring <laughs> i disagree least, or at least to the, to the natural to the native speaker at least me that is uh old english is cool and that's actually what i pattern most of witten off of with a little bit of scandinavian scattered in there but really my conlanging interest really began one time on a bring your kid to work day uh dad had to take us to a meeting because he really needed to, to go to that and so my sister and i were just sitting off to the side and i was just doodling i was drawing a map and I wanted to come up with a place name, but I didn't want it to look like English. And so I very quickly flipped to another page and started making up an alphabet, which looked a lot like the Hindi alphabet. Can you describe to us what that looks like? Well, it's basically the words are connected by a horizontal bar that goes across. And, and then, so all the letters rise or descend from that bar. Essentially, yeah. yeah. And so that was where my first real conlang idea came from. I came up with a, a collection of sounds that I wanted my language to make, and then I started combining them in different ways to make different words. And before long, I really had kind of my first serious-ish idea of a language. Of course, it didn't last very long because the rules I was trying to put in place really just did not make it easy to speak or even understand and so very, before long, the language has kind of died out. And then I tried again a second time. I actually revisited my first language a couple of times trying to revise it. But in the end, I just realized, you know what? I have to let this go, <laughs> let it die. <laughs> and then I uh, tried again at a second language, which was actually not very different. And again, it also petered out. And now I'm working on Witten. And I think that's working a lot better because I'm actually researching how linguistics works, mm -hmm. uh, phonology, grammar, all that stuff. Semantics, syntax, yeah. Yes. What kinds of things have you learned in the process of trying to create your own language so far? Well, I've learned that before you really start making anything, you need to figure out how you want your language to work. You need to figure out what sounds you want to make and how, and how the grammar will work and how letters can be combined. Witten, I've uh, created it to be a VSO language, a verb-subject-object language, where the verb of each sentence goes at the very beginning, which kind of reflects the culture of the people because I, I make Witten and I make the Wetani, the people who speak it, in... Uh, in concert and so one time i'll be writing about the language itself and then other times i'll be writing about the people and and how the two play off each other to really uh form each other and so the watani are very 
business-like, very sometimes almost brash. They they get right to business, and so it makes sense that the first thing they talk about is the action. I based them heavily off of the Rohirrim from Lord of the Rings. A lot of horse culture, a lot of Old English um, stuff. It's, it's got that sound to it, yeah. too. Lots of Fs, Fs and Ths and, and all that stuff. Okay, uh, fricatives. so you actually make an interesting point. As you're creating this constructed language, this conlang, it's not just creating a language in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You're actually creating it and trying to basically breathe life into an entire people, mm-hmm. which I find interesting because I too have been a lifelong student of and um, I guess lover of language in general. And it just impresses me and thrills me to see how language is used so interestingly throughout the world. But I've been a, a fervid supporter of the notion that you cannot be interested in language if you don't have an interest in people and history. So this seems almost like a natural outgrowth that you would, as you're creating a language, now, what would the people be like who speak this? And what happened with the people that caused them to speak this way? So it kind of incorporates the people and the history. A bit of sociology and that sort of thing. So all sorts of interesting aspects get wrapped into the study of language and language it's amazing how much language actually suffuses every field of study that we have. Yeah, because how we communicate affects how we do things. Yeah, and uh, also your your comments about the sound of the language and the get-down-to-business aspect of the Witani. There's a very um, prominent theory called the Sapir-Whorf theory in linguistics that basically poses the notion that the way your language is constructed affects the way you think. And there were some interesting experiments carried out. I don't know that it's entirely seen as um, bulletproof, but uh, certainly there are some interesting notions that come out of that. So, you know, like if you speak a harsh language, are you a harsh person? Does the sound of the words you make reflect who you are, what your character is? At the same time, uh, do your sentence structures say something about the way you think. So like you said, with verb, subject, object, where you here's here's what I want to happen, and then here's who needs to be doing it and that sort of thing. And to whom it will be done. Right. The subject and object in Witten sentences are, are actually uh, not held to a very strict... Um, order. Strict order because Witten uses a grammatical case system, much like Finnish, I kind of went a little bit overboard, I think, and was only just short of finish in that I have, I think, 14 grammatical cases that can each be applied to uh, different words. And I have a, a nice little nice little table in my notebook here. Yeah, I think if you don't mind, maybe we'll take some pictures and post those on Twitter and Instagram of a couple pages in your book. Not at all. These grammatical cases are manifested through suffixes that are added onto the end, ends of words. Can you give us an example? For example, we have the word angla, which means man. The lack of suffix actually in it makes it the nominative case, which means it is the subject of the sentence. And so as long as I say it after the verb, 
uh, I say Anga, and you know, man, that's the guy who is doing the thing in this uh, in the sentence. Now, however, if I said Anglor, the you are the the ur uh, suffix to to the word makes it uh, accusative, which makes him the object. So let's say I said the sentence Vroar rota anglor. Vroar comes from the word dro, which means speak, and the ar uh, suffix makes it past tense. So vroar means spoke, and so who's speaking? Rot rotra, that means woman. So the woman spoke, anglor. Wait, I messed up. So sorry. Actually, it would be. Angler, which would make it dative, so the woman spoke to the man. Uh, but yeah, I'm actually now wondering if I actually do need the accusative <laughs> case. I'm trying to figure out what what sentence the accusative. Tell you what, you're, you're throwing around some terminology here. I am. So <laughs> let's let's back up just a bit. Uh, if we're looking at Latin as an example, mm-hmm. so Latin has five cases. There's nominative which is, like Thane already said, the subject of the sentence. In the sentence, the boy kicked the ball. The boy is the nominative case. It's the subject of the sentence, the doer of the action. Kicked is the verb. The ball is the object of the sentence, the one on whom the action is performed. So we have three things going on in that very simple sentence. There's the nominative, there's the verb, and then there's the the recipient, the object, the accusative form in the sentence. And so, um, yeah, basically, nominative is the subject. Uh, genitive is possession. So, of the boy uh, would be an example of a genitive case use in a sentence. Dative is the indirect object. So, to the something, for the something. I sent the letter to the post office, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then you have accusative, like we've already been saying, that's the object of the sentence. Uh, so in the sentence, the boy kicked the ball, it would be the ball. And then finally, there's ablative, and that's from, by, with, in, on something. That, that, that gives you a sense of position, physical position. The letter came from me. The letter went by post, that kind of thing. So you have cases that we use really without thinking about them on a day-to-day basis, but when it comes to actually sitting down and crafting a language from scratch, you need to have a fix on different ways that words will be used in a sentence. Exactly. But yeah, so I have all these different cases that essentially add the structure to the add structure to the words so that way you can tell in what orders they're supposed to be understood. And who's doing what to who? To whom? That's what I meant to say. I I, I was debating whether or not to use whom, but I didn't want to sound like a weirdo (laughs) know-it-all. No, I'll I'll do that. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So, all right. So these are some of the things that you've learned. You've really gotten a deep dive into how sentences are constructed, what happens with them, and that sort of thing. You've already mentioned phonology, syntax, grammar, uh, morphology, those kinds of things. Those are the building blocks of linguistics. Yeah. Uh, what other things have you learned in the process? Well, I have also uh, been learning about writing systems. Right now, 
Witten only uses the Latin alphabet because it's easier for me to type with as well because sometimes uh, when I'm texting a group of my friends, I'll just randomly throw some of that in there. Uh, but I'm sure they appreciate that so much. They actually do th- kind of think it's cool, though. <laughs> no, but they're like, what is he saying? Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, I do have... I, I have been thinking about potentially making a separate writing system for Witten to work off. But I just, it doesn't feel right for the kind of theme I'm going for. You know, old English and all that stuff. It's, it, I want it to look somewhat recognizable, but not exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once you get to a point where you think you have your writing system down, your alphabet and that sort of thing, then you start heading toward typography where you're starting to look at now, how do I convert these into a, printable typeface exactly language just gets into so many corners of our day-to-day life and we don't even really think for most folks you see a a page of text a page of print and you just kind of read it and that's it but there are folks who sweat over every last detail of these letters and try and figure out you know how tall should the t be how thick should the crossbar be should it have rounded corners, connections, and so forth? Should it have serifs, the little swooshy things at the ends of the letters? Uh, you know, there are people who spend hours and days and sometimes months or even years trying to get the last little detail right so that when you see a full page of this text, your eye is tempted to linger on the shape of the words as much as the meaning of the words themselves. So really neat things to think about. But that's, I think that's down the line. Way down the line. <laughs> I'm still trying to get words together so the way I can actually talk about stuff with this language. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing about uh, the language. Word creation is a pain. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because, I mean, I have a nice amount of sounds to choose from, but I just, I for whatever reason, ha- have such difficulty really coming up with words that sound like they have meaning and then assigning meaning to them. Because, I mean, sure, I can come up with words, but there are just times where I don't know what I want to make words about. I try and make words that are relevant to what the Watani would talk about, and so I try to figure out what kind of stuff would middle-aged warrior people talk about. Well, two things come to mind immediately. Number one is start looking into etymology. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the facet of linguistics that looks at where words come from, not to be confused with entomology, which is the study of bugs. But basically, uh, if you can get a sense from, say, entries in the Oxford English Dictionary, which we have on my shelf upstairs, mm-hmm. uh, being able to pour through that and see how they show the progress of words. There's a great website that we'll link to in our show notes called Edim Online. I go to that all the time because I Again, I love language. I love to know where it comes from, how we get the words that we do. And that can help you to see, uh, you know, sound shifts throughout time, like from Latin to German. Uh, The P's and the T's in Latin changed into F's and D's in German. Hmm. Uh, And so it's a very distinct shift and it's very consistent. Like pater, P-A-T-E-R became fater, fater in uh, German. And so that P became an F sound. Makes sense. If you really wanted to go from a proto-language to a, a mythical later version of the language, you could use real-world analogs, map them to your language, and then do the same kind of thing. 
the other thing that comes to mind, especially if you're basing your language off of Old English, is using kennings to come up with more complex meanings and words. So, for instance, we've talked about this in the past. The Anglo-Saxons did have a word for sea, mm-hmm. S-E-A, but sometimes, when, especially in all the poetry that we have, it's very rarely just sea. Sometimes it's sea flood. Sometimes it's whale road. And so you're evoking very interesting imagery about the same thing, but you're using different words to help illustrate that. Uh, And so if you're worried about, well, I've got a word for this, and now I need to come up with a completely different word for this thing over here, maybe not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Like if you have the word hand, and then you want to make up a word for glove, well, you could come up with a completely different word that sounds nothing like your word for hand, or hand you could coat. say hand covering. So like in German, you have hand, which is hand, and then glove is handschuh, which is a shoe for your hand. Ah, naturally. <laughs> so, you know, they they have an example of kenning there too. It's kind of like a cutesy little way of saying, this is my glove, it's my little hand shoe. <laughs> Maybe that'll help you out with some of your development. Yeah, I have, I have done a little bit of that, uh, like I have the word... Horfura, which means uh, blessing, and it's uh, it comes it comes from the combination of the word hora, which means many or a lot, and fiora, which means uh, fortune or luck. Um, but yeah, I also found a nice source if for when I'm having difficulty coming up with the words themselves is uh, a website called Awkwards, like awkward, but with the word word instead of. W O R D instead of W A R D, but uh, it's a website where you basically put in uh, whatever vowels, whatever consonants, and other parts that your language consists of, and then you tell them how they can be combined in certain ways. And it's actually very, it's much simpler than it sounds. And then you just click generate, and it just gives you a list of just randomly generated words using the rules and letters that you gave it. I haven't used it much yet, but I I. Uh, plan to sounds really interesting i've not heard of this before and if you can make sure that we get that into the show notes also definitely that'll be very helpful especially for those of you who are considering adding a linguistic or language element to your games thanes put a lot of work into this and it wasn't necessarily created for the purpose of inserting into a game but it's here and he's got it and i have a feeling it's going to show up in vardalon at some point if he's willing to let me use it perhaps (laughs) i also just think it would be neat to have a language of my own that I could speak uh, that I could also teach to others too but just like to have a language and say yeah I made a language like me and all my friends we talk about stuff behind your back <laughs> and you can never know but yeah I I really enjoy this I do I have for a while really been thinking about how neat it would be if I were like the next Tolkien the next guy to really revolutionize the uh, fantasy writing genre. Maybe maybe get us back to some of the more classic fantasy writing then. I really want to have that nice depth to the world where it really feels like people who live there are actually people who live and speak and think and have a culture and a history and, and stuff that really makes you realize this world has been around for some time. Yeah. So you've been talking a lot about creating your own language and you've mentioned that it has the potential to add depth to a world 
How do you think that's so? Why would a language of your own devising add depth to a world? What would make people want to say, I want to make my own language so I can have a really rich and vibrant game? Well, by having a fleshed out language, you really give the people a sense of depth that this language has gone through stuff with the people who speak it. Well, because it really makes people feel like real people. I mean, that's one of the neat things about this world that we live in. It's just that people who live in different places communicate uh, in a different way. Like, even here in the United States, we have people who converse differently. Like, I converse differently than someone who lives down in Texas, and the person in Texas talks differently than the guy over in Oregon. And, and Oregon? Oregon. Thanks, oh, thanks says things different here. <laughs> Oreo, Oregon. Um, Oregano. Yes. We all speak differently. We all think and discuss ideas in a different manner. And we all sp still speak the same language. And it's just like that for people who speak other languages. And it just really makes the world alive and really neat. And that's is so very easily replicated in a fictional setting with the incorporation of natural languages, natural constructed languages. Yeah, and really what's fun and adds immediate credibility to a place is to have special terms for things. Exactly. Uh, different phrases. So, you know, here in the U.S., we might be surprised and say, uh, wow, okay, that's great. But maybe in Australia, there's a different way of saying something that people typically say when they are surprised by something. I will feel a lot better about Wetan when I can really start putting together proverbs and idioms and stuff like that because cause that really shows a mastery of a language when you can no longer take words as their literal meaning but kind of apply a bit more of a figurative cultural meaning to words. I remember as a kid telling my mom one day, I think you could be considered fluent in a language if you can tell a joke of your own in that language. Exactly. Because again, you're getting to that idea of more than just face value on it. Now you're getting to layers of meaning and in a joke in particular, turning it for a humorous yeah. advantage. Uh, it kind of gets that uh, wordplay in there. You're using words in a way that is more than just strict communication. You're using a language almost recreationally at that point, which really is impressive. And to me, that really brings a language more to life anyway. Like uh, when you see some of the Latin graffiti that has been collected from long buried walls, you can see what people were concerned about, what they cared about. And that to me really brings Latin to life because then you can see it wasn't just the language of talking about farmers and sailors, which is what a lot of the examples in all the, all the textbooks are. Uh, it was a language that was meant for conducting warfare, for trading, for taking over the world, for talking about love, for caring about other people, for making fun of other people. You know, just so many different purposes that when you look at it that way, there was a whole people, whole region of the world, very large region of the world that spoke Latin. And it was more than just talking about silly examples. Mm-hmm. As we get to the end of this mini Creation Corner podcast, I do want to note that we are going to follow this up next week with a discussion about the Witani people. Oh, joy. And 
how the language has shaped your picture of them and how they have shaped your constructing the language. Mm -hmm. Maybe even getting into a description of what the people are, what their life is like, uh, yeah, definitely. that sort of thing. And so I wanted to throw that in before we get to the end end of this. But have you had any other revelations from your work on Witan? Um, I think I've covered just about everything that I can think of uh, in this episode. Okay. Well, stackers, we want to thank you for slogging through language with us. It's not always the most exciting thing, but to, to Thane and me in particular, being the language nerds that we are, high five. We do enjoy talking about these kinds of things, thinking about these kinds of things. And even though language hasn't played a necessarily direct part in our game to date, think of Thump and how he communicates through scent. To me, that was just a really fascinating idea because there are so many different ways to communicate. Mm -hmm. And I really loved the idea of a creature that could communicate effectively through different smells. That's such an unorthodox means of communication. I mean, who? it's such a thing that we take for granted, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I smell stuff. But, you know, scent does carry meaning. It does, you absolutely. How, how many times have you smelled something and thought, oh, I remember when I was a kid and I or, used to smell this. Yeah, or you're walking down the street, you smell smoke, and you're like, my house is burning. There's that, too. <laughs> that was, yeah. <laughs> Again, we want to thank you for joining us on this little trip through Thane's mind and notebook on the subject of Witan and his constructed language. We'll throw some links, like I mentioned, into the show notes that if you're interested in trying to work on language stuff yourself, feel free to check those out. We'll try and put a heaping helping of of links there as we wrap up this episode. So thank you, and we will see you again next week. We hope that this will be the last two episodes, this one and the next one, before we get back into season two with our regular story. We miss it. We miss you all, stackers, and the story-related interactions on Twitter and Instagram. And we will catch you again next time right here at Stack of Dice. Hello, stackers. This is Rhett, and with me, uh, I have a special guest, sort of. <laughs> Let me start that over.